Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window where we bring you the news before it becomes news as well as insight and analysis into all the things you're talking about in football. And as if to prove the point, uh, today we will be talking at uh, during the pod about Manchester City's pursuit of Jack Grealish. His story first revealed on the Transfer Window podcast by my uh, com- uh, colleague uh, Duncan Castles on June the 8th uh, this month. Uh, it seems to be catch-up Friday, Duncan, with regards to the rest of the uh, Daily Snails out there in terms of their ability to get this story. Uh, you are way ahead as always. Uh, also on the pod today, we have news from Manchester United, Spurs, Arsenal, Brighton of Albion, Aston Villa, amongst others. First on the agenda, Duncan, is Manchester United's uh, ability and indeed desire to strengthen their defence. We understand here at the transfer window that they have a vested interest in the France international Jules Koundé, who currently plays his football for Sevilla in La Liga and has done so very impressively over the course of the last season. Uh, Duncan Manchester is very busy in the window and we'll talk about Jadon Sancho in a bit, but Koundé is a very interesting target for them, isn't it? Because of his flexibility as much as anything else. Yeah, Kunde has been on that list of of centre backs that they they want to add to to solve the Harry Maguire problem um, for some time now. Um, I can tell you that they have contacted Sevilla and held informal talks with them over the purchase of Kunde for this summer, and proposed that they would offer forty five million euros as a transfer fee for the player. Um, Sevilla not happy with that. Their sports director, Monchi, said, no, um, there is no way I can sell this player for 45 million euros. Um, He told Manchester United, I understand that he had an offer of 55 million for the player last summer. Uh, Therefore, 45 million was out of the question. Um, It looks like the valuation that Monchi will sell at is 65 million but there is a bit of question over that. He he has been telling certain agents that it would take 80 million to get Kunde in this window. And, and there's an interesting explanation of why. Um, yeah, as there's a discussion, for example, were he to be offered 60 for the player, Sevilla would have to pay 30% of that transfer fee to Bordeaux, the club they signed him for from two seasons ago, which would leave... 42 million euros of the the 60 they receive. From that, they'd have to subtract the 25 million euros they paid Bordeaux, which would leave them 17 million euros as as a profit. There's an additional factor for them in that 
as we've talked about in this podcast many times, La Liga determines the budget of um, Spanish clubs and what they're allowed to spend on players. They, they, they vet every transfer to make sure it fits inside the club's determined budget going into the season. And in Sevilla's case, they expect that were they to have that profit of 17 million euros on Kunde, they would be allowed by La Liga to spend less than 10 million euros of that in a replacement. So then you have a very kind of straightforward calculation that they can't replace him in their view for 10 million euros, even with Monchi in charge, even with his uh, ability to dig up diamonds and, and uh at low prices and, and sell them on at higher levels. So there is a complication with La Liga. Um, some people believe that Monchi will actually sell at 65 million, which is still way short of Manchester United's offer. Also a complication from Manchester United's perspective, if they decide that Kunde is absolutely the player they want because they do have an extensive list of target centre-backs um, at present, at which... Um, actually several of whom play in Spain. You've got Pau Torres at Villarreal who had an outstanding Europa League final against them. Uh, you have Rafael Varane uh, at Real Madrid who is uh, still keeping Madrid waiting on his decision as to whether he uh, decides to leave this summer with one year left in his contract or um, tries to run his contract down to a final year uh, or says he wants to stay, in which case Madrid will try and sell him because they don't want to lose him for nothing in, in a year's time. You've got Nikola Milenkovic in Serie A and, and a fringe interest in Ben White, who's someone uh, we will talk about later in, in the podcast. But for United to get Kunde, they're going to have to spend more money on the transfer fee. There is competing interest from Chelsea and there is competing interest from Real Madrid. Uh, Real Madrid, for obvious reasons, they've allowed Sergio Ramos to leave and they have that issue with Rafael Varane. Um, they, I understand, have done quite a lot of work with Kunde's representatives in terms of uh, working out costs and, and explaining a, a plan should he come to the club. Uh, they see Kunde as a future Sergio Ramos, someone they could sign now, not necessarily play at centre-back, use it right-back in the way that Ramos was used when he first came to Madrid. And you see Koundé playing at right-back for France in the Euros at present, and performing well there. Um, and then gradually develop him and have him as a starting centre-back going forward. They have David Alaba coming in. They've got Eder Militao at present. Nacho has had a good season. And that there's there's also a sense that they might bring Jesus Vallejo back um, to work in, in the squad next season. But my information is that where Kunde offered a choice between the clubs that are interested in him, strongly interested in him, he would prefer to go to Real Madrid. The question mark is, will Real Madrid put that amount of money into a transfer for a centre-back this summer, given that Florentino Perez's obsession and priority is Kylian Mbappe and he hopes that Mbappe will be allowed to leave, will choose to leave after the Euros um, and that Paris Saint-Germain can be persuaded to sell him. If that's the case, Florentino Perez wants to put all the money he has available for transfer fees into getting Mbappe and preventing him from going to another club. As for Koundé, he's talked about his ambitions. I mean, he, he's young, he's, uh, he's still just uh, 22 years of age. Um, under contract 
until 2024 at Sevilla, but been outstanding in his two seasons there. What he said is, I'm at a great club right now, but obviously I would like to evolve in a bigger team. We'll see what the future holds, but it is something that is in my head. It may just be my childish sense of humour, Duncan, but um, whenever I hear the uh, sport director of Sevilla's name, I think of pickled onion monster, Monchi. Perhaps perhaps that's just me and a handful of uh, veteran crisp connoisseurs out there listening to the podcast. You're welcome. Uh, Manchester United, an interesting uh, summer ahead, Duncan. Lots and lots of discussions between the club and Borussia Dortmund regarding Jade Sancho. Um, It's her understanding that United have now upped their offer for Sancho to 80 million euros plus 10 million euros in uh, additions, additional payments which will come around regarding appearances for the club, Champions League appearances or Europa League appearances, uh, as well as years of contract completed. This is uh, the saga uh, which continues uh, to effectively dominate in some ways the United transfer agenda Duncan, um, are we now all at a stage where we believe that this is going to happen this summer? And if so, it will be done at this kind of rate that United have now entered into uh, a commitment to effectively almost almost equal Dortmund's valuation for the player? Well, they've improved their offer. They made two offers in quick succession. And, and as you say, they're not far away from the, the figure that Dortmund have been briefing is the one required for them to sell Sancho. So Dortmund are, are saying that they want 90 million euros guaranteed plus additional add-ons, which probably take the, the total deal to 10 to 100 million euros. Um, they are, they're insistent that the add-ons are easily achievable. They don't want things like um, winning Ballon d'Or or or being in the in the final three in the Ballon d'Or, which is a clause that uh, United have liked to uh, include in deals for players um, such as uh, Anthony Martial and uh, and Bruno Fernandez in the past. Dortmund want to be sure that they're going to get all the money promised to them from the transaction. But I think. There is a difference here from what we saw last summer in that United had the same kind of confidence about this deal and that they felt they were going that Dortmund would sell and that Dortmund would come down and accept the offer uh, that United made. And they felt they were in a, a strong position because they thought Sancho had two years of contract when Dortmund later revealed they had three years of contract. Um, they obviously had the agreement of the player to come. They had salary and agents fee sorted out uh, but Dortmund briefed that it had to be done by a certain time and it had to be done at a certain price uh, 120 million euros otherwise they wouldn't sell and, and Dortmund's brief was accurate in this case the brief coming from Dortmund following the second offer is they expect the deal the transfer to be concluded they think they will come to an agreement to sell Jaden Sancho to Manchester United obviously they, they've stated that they have a gentleman's agreement with the player that he can leave this summer if the money is right. Obviously, the player wants to move. Um, salary and agents uh, commission is sorted. So, you know, given that we're pretty early in the window 
And given that the noise is coming from Dortmund about United's offer are positive, um, it does look more likely that this will be done this time. You do have to counter that with Manchester United have, have kind of got a history of being truculent in the transfer market and, and getting to stages where they say, this is our highest offer and we won't go above that. Um, and also, this is an area of the team where they haven't focused all their energy on Jadon Sancho. As, as we told you in the podcast, they've got a, a joint strategy. They want an elite forward in, but that forward could be a right winger or a centre forward. And they'll shift uh, Mason Greenwood's position around according to who they bring in. They're happy to use Mason Greenwood off the right if they can't get Sancho or a right winger and they have to go for a centre forward instead. Um, if they get Sancho or a right winger, Mason Greenwood will then become the second centre forward sharing the position with Edinson Cavani. Um, they're ready to let Anthony Martial go. Anthony Martial is aware of that, his agent is aware of that, and has been offering the player around Europe for some time now. One of the clubs he offered the player to was Real Madrid, who said no. Um, the, the setup on this is such that it need not necessarily be a full transfer for Anthony Martial. It's being proposed that he goes on a, on a high value loan fee, potentially with an option to buy, which I think gives you a sense of where United are on Martial, that they are ready to sacrifice him because they expect to have Cavani plus another as the centre forward for next season because Solskjaer wants improvements there and a better right winger. Um, or Greenwood out on the right and a, and a new centre-forward in to replace Martial. And an interesting side story to this particular deal, Duncan, that Manchester City, of course, uh, who uh, had Sancho in their academy and uh, obviously invested money in his development, uh, included a 15% sell-on clause in the contract which he signed, which moving to Borussia Dortmund. So... In an ironic kind of way, Manchester United's purchase of Sancho would partly fund Manchester City's summer spree. Yeah, and remember, City are very, very keen on getting cash in deals. Um, they have an extremely ambitious summer plan. In the same way that we see Paris Saint-Germain being very aggressive in this window, you see the other nation-state club, City, being extremely aggressive now that FFP has been severely watered down and it's probably going to change into, into a completely different format soon. Um, they want Jack Grealish, as we've uh, uh, told you on the podcast. Um, They're prepared to make space in the squad to get Grealish in if they can get that deal done with, with Aston Villa. Um, Aston Villa suggesting that it'll take a British record transfer fee to do that. So um, in the region of £100 million or more. Um, and they have been trying to get Harry Kane, um, their, their, their preferred choice for their new centre forward to re replace Sergio Aguero, who Pep Guardiola um, instructed should not be given a new contract, is Harry Kane. Kane wants to come there. They made an offer to Tottenham already and they've been trying to come up with a structure of that deal in which they've been offering players who are either surplus to requirements at Man City or who have been promised that they could leave or who are looking for exits themselves are being offered to, to Tottenham as part of the deal. So you've got you know, a range of players there, including Americ Laporte, 
um, Bernardo Silva, who would actually prefer to move outside uh, English football. Um, Raheem Sterling, interestingly. Riyad Mahrez, whose agent has been looking for an exit for him. Uh, they either want those players rolled into a, a deal for one of the players they want, Grealish or Kane, to reduce the cash element of the transfer fee or sell them to other clubs for cash so they can put it into those two big transfers that they're trying to do this summer. Well, speaking of uh, English players and their valuations, uh, it appears that despite the current financial environment around the pandemic, that uh, inflation in terms of young English talent has not been affected and indeed would make the Bank of England's governor shed a tear, I'm sure, uh, should he take a look at what prices are being asked for such young talent as Grealish. And another one, Duncan, is Ben White of Brighton Hove Albion, who has been the subject of attention from several big clubs in the Premier League, but it has materialised that Arsenal are a concrete bidder uh, for the centre-back who's played, remember, only one season in the Premier League. And Brighton's asking price is in the range of £50 million for the 23-year-old. Uh, Duncan, update us, please, on what you have been hearing with regards to this particular deal and, indeed, whether or not it's likelihood of going through. Yeah, we, we told you a couple of weeks ago that Arsenal were strongly interested in Ben White. Um a stronger interest, uh, according to people close to him, than Manchester United have. Uh, they have now made that formal offer this week. Um, that offer, I understand, is £45 million guaranteed with £5 million in uh, what should be achievable performance-related payments. Um, there is an issue with it in that similar to a lot of uh, transfer fees that Arsenal have set up in, in recent seasons, they only want to pay us a, a relatively small proportion of that fee in the first summer. My understanding is what they've offered a £12 million immediate payment this summer, with the rest of the, the £45 million being staged over the course of a White's contract. Now, again, my understanding is that Brighton have rejected that offer. They feel that it's insufficient for a player of uh, White's quality and status. And uh, when we talked in, in the podcast about the, the interest in White, we did say that Brighton would, would want over £50 million for the player and that his valuation had increased because he'd been included in the, in the Euros squad and, uh, and been told by Gareth Southgate he was an important member of that squad. Um, Arsenal aren't that far away. I understand that there is going to be a, a board meeting today in which they'll discuss um, the outcome of their conversations with Brighton and, uh, and discuss whether they can put together an improved offer that would be sufficient to um, satisfy Brighton's owner, Tony Bloom. Um, you can see that perhaps in, in involving an increased immediate payment, more money up front, um, and uh, better add-ons or potentially a, a, a sell-on clause given that White is just 23 um, and given I think Arsenal's status in the game at present so if Arsenal continue to be essentially a mid-table club who don't 
get European football on a regular basis and they have someone like White in the ranks and that doesn't change or White continues to develop in the way he's been developing, then he would be a target for for top six clubs and, and uh, top European clubs and you could see him being transferred on. So it would be in Brighton's interest to have that sell-on involved uh, in the contract. The other thing I'm hearing is that this is very much being driven by Mikel Arteta. He, he wants White in. He um, is impressed not just by the player's technical qualities, uh, his ability on the ball, his speed. He, he likes his character and he likes his intelligence. And he, um, I, I'm told, even sees him as a potential future captain of Arsenal, given, his, uh, given that he's English, given the position he plays in the field. Centre-back is always a good place to captain, um, aside from. And therefore, he's, he's pushing... Edu, the sports director, um, and the Cronkies to go the extra mile to to get this deal done. It's an interesting one in general for Arsenal. Um, it's showing a level of ambition that perhaps, Duncan, we weren't expecting uh, given uh, their financial status. We know that they have been buying on the never-never uh, as it used to be called uh, in terms of higher purchase uh, prices and uh, to spend as much money as, you know, in excess of 50 million on a centre back is a huge commitment uh, in terms of that position when obviously they're a club who needs strengthening in other positions as well. Do you think they've got the money to be able to effectively turn what is an underperforming team into a challenging team for next season. They want to sell players and that, that's the big challenge has yeah. been to, to move players on to generate revenue to to make these deals happen for players like Ben White, um, Ruben Neves, Yves Basuma, another player from Brighton that they, they're looking at to improve in defensive midfield. Um, you have Andre Silva, who we told you in the last podcast, are interested in a striker. If they can move Alexandra Lacazette out, it, it's a complex scenario because they have, you know, it's well known they they have a badly structured squad that aren't particularly compatible with each other. Um, they've got some characters who Arteta finds difficult to manage. Um, uh, go back to the pod we did with with Graham Hunter, who knows Mikel well. And he talked about Arteta's qualities as a coach, as a technical coach, but something he has to work on is, is, is his man management and the difficulties he was finding with certain players. And they have players on very, very high wages, um, like Lacazette, who if they can shift out, that gives them a lot of scope to bring players in. We should say Ben White, um, the the understanding on on the offer to Ben White and salary is one hundred twenty thousand pounds per week, which is a, a huge increase on what he's on at Brighton. But if he is the player that Arsenal think he is, it's not ridiculously expensive for an English centre back. So that they, they are getting a getting a player with those characteristics that Arteta describes, who's English, who's young at a relatively cheap salary cost. I can't say cheap salary cost, but relatively cheap for for uh, an English player. Just interested in your opinion on this because you know Brighton very well, you know Ben White very well. Do you see his career path as one where he goes to a club like Arsenal and turns himself into the best centre-back in England and a, 
and a, and a player who is um, able to work at the top level in the Champions League. I've seen a lot of Ben White in the last season, Duncan, and there's nothing to suggest that uh, he can't cope with everything and anything that's thrown at him. Um, you refer to his intelligence. Uh, that certainly is a very positive factor uh, in his game uh, with regards to reading uh, play and seeing any kind of problematic situation uh, developing in which he needs to intervene. Um, he's not entirely a traditional centre-back in that way that Lewis Dunk has been for Brighton, i.e. put everything uh, on the line to make sure the ball doesn't reach the goalkeeper or indeed the net. Um, and Brighton have for a long time depended on that centre-back pairing of Shane Duffy and, and Dunk uh, to do that. And instead, Graham Potter has developed uh, a new system where he plays three at the back with two wing-backs and he has uh, obviously Dunk in the centre of that with Ben White on the right and Adam Webster on the left. And that has worked very well for Brighton. Um, their concession of goals record last season was impressive, uh, despite the fact that uh, the only thing that let them down was the scoring of goals at the other end because uh, I think, as I mentioned in a previous podcast, uh, one manager uh, said to me, how how can you guys have a minus six goal difference and be in 17th place? Um, and the reason is because the defence is particularly good and the attack doesn't necessarily function uh, as much as well as uh, Potter would like it to. So yes, I, the answer to your question is, I can see White developing into a elite top class centre-back um, because he has all the attributes in terms of instinct and talent. Uh, as well as uh, an ambition to uh, better himself, to learn more. Um, at 23, uh, some players think they're the complete player and that's all they're going to be. But I think with White, it's definitely the case that he feels like he can get better and playing in uh, a team with better, uh, more technical players would be something which I think he would certainly... Um, want to do uh, in terms of his own development, but also in terms of his career development as well. So, yeah, um, it's an interesting one and it'll be very interesting to see how how that pans out because uh, as far as Brighton Hove Albion are concerned, they feel that they have an asset which uh, deserves to be um, valued uh, the way that they uh, particularly value Ben White. Um, and it's up to you know Arsenal in this case who I understand are the only firm suitors for the player at this moment in time uh, to take the plunge and commit to him and say, yeah, okay, this is going to be a good investment for us as well. So, uh, yeah, that will be an interesting situation. And, of course, here on the Transfer Window podcast, we will bring you uh, that news on Ben White before anyone else does. That is just what we do. Jack Grealish and Manchester City, as mentioned earlier. And Duncan, um, it seems that City are looking to progress uh, quite quickly on this. Um, the suggestions that they're willing to pay around £100 million, which would be by far the most expensive uh, English player club to club in the Premier League transfer um, in history. Uh, I suppose... <laughs> 
like people have heard me on the podcast criticizing Grealish for his, um, let's just say, uh, affectations with regards to um, winning fouls, uh, a phrase that I completely disagree with. Uh, a foul should not be won, it should simply be punished. However, Grealish seems to take quite some pride in his status as the most fouled player in the Premier League. So again, my question to you, Duncan, is, is he worth it? <laughs> it doesn't really matter whether I think he's worth it. The, the decision from Manchester City, and, and you have to say they've been very good at identifying uh, creative attacking players um, who fit their system and and give them an edge. They've you know they, they've taken Bernardo Silva, they've taken Kevin De Bruyne. Um, I think they've done well out of Riyad Mahrez, which I personally had doubts about whether he was a Manchester City player. So you show why my opinion doesn't matter. Um, Leroy Zani, uh, who I think a lot of people didn't think was necessarily going to be a success in, in the Premier League and and, and uh, became, I think, if not fundamental, very important to Manchester United and, and the speedy to Manchester City and the, the speed he added to their attack. Um, so they're good at selecting the right players. Um, Kevin De Bruyne certainly seems to, to like Jack Grealish and, and you can see that he's a very natural fit to the way they play and if they're forced to lose Bernardo Silva because Pep Guardiola has told Bernardo Silva he could go this summer um, and someone comes up with a deal that satisfies Manchester City, then that, that's that's pretty much a close to a like-for-like like replacement and, and you get the added value of him being English um, or Irish who, who decided to play for England, but an England international which has added commercial value to them, which is important because they want to make the books look nice um, as we know at Manchester City. Um, so yeah, I, I see the sense in it. I see why they, they're focused on this. Um, I think it's pretty concerning if you're one of the English clubs that Manchester City's strategy for the summer is to go and get Jack Grealish, who I think most English clubs would love to, to have in their team if they could afford it, and to go and get Harry Kane, um, who's clearly the best English striker uh, in football and uh, was the best striker in the Premier League and actually put the best numbers for a centre forward or, or any kind of striker together um, ever in the sense of uh, uh, goals and goals assists in this in this past season. And that's supposedly in a defensive negative team um, where he was be supposedly badly handled by uh, by Jose Mourinho. So if if he was so badly handled by Mourinho, imagine what he can do when when put into into the Manchester City squad. From Aston Villa's perspective, they're briefing that they're not going to make this easy and they're briefing that the, the, the price has got to be in that, that £100 million range. We told you some weeks ago now that Villa are very ambitious about this transfer window. Um, they have money to spend. Um, we told you that they weren't finished when they when they brought Emiliano Buendia in as a as an attacking midfielder that they wanted to in this summer. Um, we told you they were interested in Emil Smith Rowe, and they've subsequently made a offer for Smith Rowe, who is just two years left of contract at Arsenal. 
um, Arsenal confident that they, they, they can persuade him to sign a new contract, but that, that's, I think, a sign of Aston Villa's ambition. They also have another young English uh, attacking midfielder on their list of uh, potential recruits uh, alongside Emil Smith-Rowe, and that's Dwight McNeil at Burnley. Um, McNeil's just 21. He has a contract there until 2024 with a, a single year additional option. Um, I think McNeil, because of because it's Burnley rather than Arsenal, will be a cheaper um, option. I don't think they'll get him cheaply, especially if Burnley aware that uh, that there'll be some big funds coming in should Grealish go. But um, that there they want players who can do the similar kind of things that Grealish does, which is turn possession at the top end of field into the chances, which is something they're very good at with Grealish in the team, not so good at with them outside the team. I think that there's a realism there. They would like to keep him if they can, but there's a realism that when, when offers of that dimension are coming in from Champions League clubs, if you don't have Champions League football to offer the player, then, uh, then you, you need, to take it, you can't hold them indefinitely and, and therefore structure around it and try and improve the overall quality of your squad by using the cash you're getting for uh, a homegrown player um, in, in, in all the areas of the team you want to strengthen. We also said they want another striker and they want someone who can play interchangeably with Ollie Watkins, have the same level of quality as Ollie Watkins. So they've got an option should should he be out of the team. And I mean, you were asking me about the valuation of Grealish. As as we're speaking, I had a text message from a a friend of mine whose whose job is uh, to value players. And uh, and I'll, I'll just read out his comment, no names, but he said 100 million pounds for Grealish, maybe one of the worst transfers in the history of the Premier League. I like him, but that's so, so far beyond his true value, it's mind-boggling. Um, so let's see if he goes for 100 million plus and, uh, and let's see uh, if my friend's assessment that, uh, that City are, are, would be massively overpaying at that price is correct or not. Uh, two interesting factors, Duncan, before we leave this subject regarding um, the transfer of Tom Daly. Oh, so, sorry, Jack Grealish. Uh, to Manchester City. One is um, that Pep Guardiola has made it clear to Chiqui Begueristan and Ferran Soriano, his immediate bosses at Manchester City, they must not make the same mistake as they did two years ago, having won the title by a record margin. And then obviously Liverpool then won it from them by some stretch as well, uh, because the mistake they made was not to strengthen the team. So... Uh, obviously, the moves for Grealish and Kane are very bold uh, in terms of the numbers involved, as well as the status of the players and the fact that they are England internationals as well. Uh, the second one is that uh, the transfer window has spoken to someone who is close to the Aston Villa coaching team, um, and they have told us that they do expect... Uh, Grealish to leave the club this summer for Manchester City and they are currently preparing for that eventuality as well as a replacement for Grealish in the team. So usually when that's the case, uh, in Duncan and I's experience, that tells you that 
uh, there is a um, effectively uh, a resolution now, uh, which is just simply to be played out between the clubs in terms of valuation and payment structure. So uh, we will bring you, of course, news of that first and before anyone else when we get it. Look, I, I think you've just got to step away from this and, and think, where are Manchester City as a club? Um, they're talking here about doing two transfers of 100 million plus to get the two best players in the Premier League in, in the positions that they, they want to strengthen in. Tottenham are, are floating a fee of 150 million for Harry Kane. Look, this is reminiscent of the summer where Paris Saint-Germain signed Kylian Mbappe and Neymar in the same uh, transfer window. This is nation-state clubs who are not limited in their budget. Realistically, the limitation has always been financial fair play. That's the thing that has reined them into a certain extent. You now have a situation where the UEFA president says financial fair play has to change. It has effectively been... Uh, loosen because of COVID restrictions. Um, Manchester City want to make it look like they break even, as we well know, and they've managed to um, post most of their accounts with break even, with a lot of sponsorship money coming from Abu Dhabi. But ultimately, the goal is to be the best club in European football and to win the Champions League. And if that's your goal, um, you've got good professionals like Chiki Bergeristan who who know how to structure a squad. You want to build something that gives Pep Guardiola the best chance to win the trophy. Then, you know, you need a new attacking midfielder. You go for the best one in the Premier League. You go for the proven product who knows the division, knows how to play and you know what they can deliver and you pay what it requires to get them. You need a new centre forward. You go to the best one in the Premier League. You know the price. You pay what's required to get them. That's that's the, you know, it's, it's almost like football manager. Um, I need the best so I can win the titles. Uh, money isn't an issue in this case if we can get away with it from a real perspective. So we'll go and do it. Funny you should mention football manager there, Duncan, because uh, I think I know of a certain Mr. Aidan McGarry, no relation, obviously, uh, who is sitting on um, the uh, fantasy football quotation sweep amongst his mates uh, and he would have been basically sitting on his hands there hoping that you were going to say the catchphrase of most expensively assembled squad in football in the history of football uh, sorry uh, Aidan uh, you're not going to be kick, picking up that 30 quid this week <laughs> <laughs> But however, it's not like it's, it's not, it's not, at least it does prove that this is not in any way fixed. We are a very, very neutral uh, podcast when See, it comes to. That's, that's what happens, Ian, when you're trying to do renovations on your house in the middle of the transfer window. You, you forget to say the most expensively uh, assembled squad in the history of football. You just said it 30 quid, Ian. Well done. <laughs> I'll be expecting my commission, young man. Uh, oh, sorry, he's not. He's definitely not not a relative of mine. On to uh, what is the probably for much of you out there listening to the podcast most annoying story of the summer, and of course that is the debacle at Spurs regarding their new manager. Uh, I like uh, the fact that I was contacted this morning by an agent uh, who represents. 
um, head coaches, uh, several of whom who possibly could be candidates. And um, he said to me, I have no idea what's going on at Spurs. Can you please explain it to me in a sentence? Uh, to which I simply replied with a question mark, but then followed up by saying the collective noun for uh, candidates for the um, Tottenham Hotspur job is a shambles of candidates, uh, to which he replied, OK, I'll take that one. Uh, but if you get a chance, put my man in. So, um, Duncan, it's, it looks like Nuno Espirito Santo, who was originally part of a shortlist, then seemed to drop out of contention, has suddenly become a contender again. Yeah, um, you talk about a shambles. Uh, knowledgeable listeners of the podcast will remember a few weeks ago we uh, told you that Tottenham had offered the job to Julian Lopetegui and had agreement from the Sevilla coach to come. We were prepared to pay his 5 million euro release clause. Um, and we said you should add him to the list of uh, managers they've tried to appoint and failed to appoint uh, alongside Julian Nagelsmann, Antonio Conte, um, the well-known ones of, uh, of uh, Paolo Fonseca and uh, Gennaro Gattuso. Lopetegui was also on that list. And lo and behold, this week we have the president of Sevilla, um, Jose Castro, uh, talking about the offer Tottenham made to Lopetegui. And he said, Julian rang me and told me he said he'd received offers he'd not listened to, in addition to a dizzying one from Tottenham. So there you go, on record confirmation of, of that story. And um, just what a long list of individuals they've gone through and and you know two three of them have had agreed to become coach and for various reasons and in Lopetegui's case related to Brexit um it didn't happen Fonseca because of uh uh Tottenham decided that he wasn't the right man for the job after Fabio Paratici had agreed uh terms with Fonseca to come in and Gattuso, who, who was having his contract um, drawn up at the point when Tottenham supporters protested and, and uh, Daniel Levy instructed the club to, to bring a halt to that one. Nuno Espirito Santo is an interesting case because he was offered to Tottenham at the beginning of this process and guidance I had was that Tottenham didn't think he was the right man for the job. Um, he, I understand, has been proposed again. Um, Fabio Paratici is, is an individual involved in that, as he should be as managing director of football, who's been tasked with finding the new manager. There's been a lot of reporting that um, he is now the favourite for the job. And um, there's word in Portugal yesterday from people close to him that uh, he was close to getting the job. The information I have is that he is on the list, but he doesn't know whether he's going to be manager or not, which to me indicates that there is still a problem getting sign-off from Daniel Levy on this new coach. And obviously every time they try and hire someone and it falls through, the pressure increases on Levy as the ultimate man responsible for... Um, getting Tottenham back on a path where they get into Champions League football and can be competitive for the Premier League again to get it right. 
Uh, this has become a very sensitive issue at, at Tottenham. Um, as we told you on the podcast earlier this week, Maurizio Pochettino, who they did um, try to get to come back, has been um, petitioning Paris Saint-Germain again to get out of his contract, the contract that Paris Saint-Germain extended, uh, took up an option on to make him more expensive for Tottenham to get him, to make him more expensive for Real Madrid to get him when he was offering himself to both clubs when, when they had vacancies earlier this summer. Um, my guidance from a, a senior Qatari source is that he will not be allowed to leave. I, I've been told forget about it um, regardless of what Pochettino wants to do. Qatar is not prepared to, leave, to let him exit that contract and he will be the coach of the club for the coming season. So if Daniel Levy is waiting in the hope that Pochettino can get out, and he can bring him back. And, and, you know, we've said a couple of times on this pod that that's the PR move. That's the one that, that Tottenham supporters will say, yes, we're glad to have Poch back and we can go back to where we were a few years ago and play the right kind of football, have a nice uh, individual in charge, a likeable individual in charge of the club. If he could do that, that would solve a lot of problems in the short term. But certainly from Qatar's perspective, that's not going to happen which will mean they'll have to make a decision on someone else. And uh, and I think it's fascinating to see if Paratici can convince Daniel Levy that um, that Nuno is the right man for the job. He has very good credentials for it in terms of his performance in Premier League football, what he's done with Wolves. But he's not perceived as being that um, attacking flair coach that... uh, Again, this is one of the mistakes I think Levy made was that apology to the supporters where he started talking about DNA and, and saying that they had to have someone in who who reflected the club's values and promoted youth and and uh, and played attacking football. He, he definitely made a rod for his own back in that statement. I must take this opportunity, Duncan, to thank one of our very loyal listeners in South Korea who has got in touch uh, to say how much he appreciated my joke, which is something I don't hear very often, especially <laughs> especially in my own house, uh, about uh, Fabio Paratici uh, learning that managing director of football, his most important job was fetching Daniel Levy's coffee first thing in the morning. And uh, our friend from South Korea has said that you have to translate that differently in my culture and cultural references are very important to us on the Transfer Wonder podcast uh, to say that he's now in charge of watering the office plants. So, uh, Fabio, get the watering can out and uh, keep watering because, let's face it, you might need to grow a new manager, never mind sign one, uh, the way things are going. Yeah, we have we have a few fans in South Korea, which is great. I, I love that because South Korea has a special place in my my working history in football. Oh, likewise, yeah. Amazing, amazing time covering the the two thousand and two World Cup and the build up to it. But this this particular listener um, transcribes well, transcribes and translates into Korean um, the content of the podcast for uh, for a group of of. Uh, of people are interested in what we've got to say, and we're just going to say, come um, Hamnida for uh, for going to that effort to spread the transfer window message in, in Asia. Comes Hamnida, indeed. Excellent. Uh, I likewise have that experience uh, with Duncan. Enjoyed it with Duncan uh, in 2002 and hope at some point to return. It's a very special place indeed. And I uh, urge you, when the green lights are on, if you're in the UK, 
go visit. Uh, it is that time of the week because it is our second podcast in which we award the donkey. Um, very prestigious, as you know. And this week we have decided to credit uh, the uh, actions of Cristiano Ronaldo, who during a Euro 2020 press conference removed the bottles of Coca-Cola from the front of his days, uh, saying, drink water, don't be fooled. And so we are therefore dedicating this as the Cristiano, call it for what it is award. Uh, I'm just going to open the envelope here, Duncan, and see who our candidates are. There we are. Ah, interesting. So, we have uh, one Josie Mourinho as our first candidate who, uh, when asked about uh, Manchester United's exit in the Champions League uh, to Sevilla uh, in the face of criticism from the press that United's uh, great history in that competition was being in some way compromised answered saying if you want to talk about football heritage look at what has happened to United in recent years in terms of the Champions League this is not exactly a club who effectively are competing for that title. Uh, we also have um, Frank Lampard, who um, conveniently was shooting a advert promotional campaign for Coca-Cola's great rivals, Pepsi. Uh, and having seen uh, on uh, site uh, at the shoot in Barcelona, both Leo Messi and Thierry Henry, who uh, Henry at the time was a Barcelona player as well, uh, go through their motions of flicks, kicks, tricks and all sorts of showmanship, was asked by the American director, uh, so Frank, shows your signature move, <laughs> as in, in the same way that Messi and Henri had, and Frank replied to him, uh... I win the ball in midfield and I score goals sometimes. <laughs> in, a, in a brilliantly flat and very, very deadpan way. And the director sort of just looked up and said, uh, OK, do what you can. <laughs> so there we go. Uh, that was Frank Lampard's uh, nomination for this uh, particular donkey. And uh, the last one is uh, with Samuel Etu, who um, effectively tore um, Pep Guardiola apart uh, on several occasions um, when uh, he was being, uh, well, criticised by Guardiola for not playing in the style that Guardiola liked, um, but in particular uh, had been called, uh, he called uh, Guardiola a coward. Uh, he also, uh, Duncan, was there a game against Seville as well? I think the, the best Samuel Eto'o story is about him telling uh, recounting how Guardiola told him how he should score goals. Yes, so he said his actual uh, quote was, Pep, you're a midfielder, you were not a great forward. How do I score my goals? And the movement Pep was showing me was not how I did it. And when we were training, I made a move without the ball to create space for Leo, Messi, obviously, who was coming. And even though Leo scores, he tells me, no, 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 you should have done. And I tell him, you're not normal. 
<laughs> uh, well, nice one, Samuel. Uh, you know, you, you you tell it how it is. Uh, but it's Duncan's uh, job to tell it how it is with regards to who wins this particular week's award. Yeah, I, I love the Eto'o um, explanation of, of how Guardiola was a manager and how, how little... Um, Guardiola spoke to him, but when he spoke to him, one of the things was to try and tell him how he should score goals in a season in which he scored thirty six goals. Um, uh, yeah, so it's it's worth it's worth searching out. Um, Jose Mourinho's football heritage. Uh, if you if you have an award for telling it as it is, then Jose obviously has to be in there because that's been his speciality and in many ways uh, his downfall um, in his career. Um, but that football heritage, heritage, um, heritage. <laughs> rant, as it was described after the Sevilla game. Um, if you go back and read it, he pretty much hits the nail on the head in terms of where Manchester United have been in European football. He, he talks about how the last time Manchester United won the Champions League, which didn't happen a lot of times, was in 2008. The last final was 2011, since 2011, out in the group phase 2012, um, talks about how they weren't in the competition um, in several years, were in the, the Europa League and, uh, and, and says that uh, that season with Sevilla was the, the season that they got them back into uh, winning a group phase and, and getting into the last 16. And um, Actually, subsequent to that, the only time Manchester United have made the last 16 of the Champions League is the season in which Jose Mourinho was sacked. Um, he got them into the last 16 uh, and uh, and subsequently Europa League, um, Champions League last season, get knocked out in the group stages back to Europa League. So a lot of accuracy to that. But for this award, I think you have to give it to Frank Lampard because Eto and, and Mourinho were um, looking after themselves and, and trying to uh, protect themselves and explain what had happened to them. But Frank just had the honesty to say, I don't have a signature move. Um, sort yourself out, director. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I think... Classic we, Frank Lampard. <laughs> I think uh, I think if we give him the donkey, we uh, we give him the first silverware of his managerial, managerial career, which is quite Indeed. nice. Given, Indeed, given your uh, your relationship with Frank and we your do. authorship Frank's, of Frank's, his book. Frank's first donkey, I'm sure he'd be very pleased. In a podcast which has featured Sevilla more than we could ever have imagined. <laughs> <laughs> so for all you who are fans of pickled onion monster monchi, then uh, be, be happy for the weekend. Get yourself a bag of those crisps. Uh, other crisps are available, of course, uh, as is this podcast on all the usual social media channels, including uh, on YouTube. You can contact us at Transfer Podcast on uh, said channels. Uh, you can get Duncan at Duncan Castles, me at Garbo SJ. Please engage with us. We welcome it, as you know. If you're feeling particularly generous, don't just give us a five-star review on iTunes. Vote for us in the British Podcast Awards as well. Many of you have already, and we're very grateful for it. Until then, we will be back with you next week when we will probably know more about what's going to happen in terms of the quarterfinals of the European Championship. And maybe, maybe 
we'll have some exciting things to think about with regards to the football as well as the transfer window market. Until then, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.